Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Shroom Lie podcast. This is another episode number 10 in the Level 1 Angler series, helping you catch brim on soft plastic lures. But you can also apply these to other lure types as well. It's mostly for the beginner, hence the Level 1 Angler, for those that may have caught, you know, a couple of fish but haven't really nailed down brim yet, or maybe they haven't even caught one yet, or for those that just want to listen in and improve their skills. Maybe they've been fishing for many years and still find Brim an enigma. Anyway, today's first question comes from It's Flex and he says, Hey Shroom, how are you mate? Really been enjoying your podcast. I have a question and I don't remember if you went over it. What would be a good time to be switching soft plastics to a different design when the fish aren't biting and everything has gone stale even after applying the good old S factor? I never know when to change plastics and then end up not changing it at all most of the times. Look, that's a very complicated question, but I'll run you through some of the procedures and processes that I think about in a situation like that. So first of all, let's just imagine that you're fishing and you're using one specific lure type. I think most people pretty much start fishing with their most favorite lure, especially if you're a beginner, you have one or two lure types and you practically gravitate towards them in every situation and that's fine. I have my lure types that I like to use. Let's say it's the Z-Man Grub Watermelon Red. That's a staple. Could be in Bloodworm. It could also be a little Slim Swims. Could be a Squidgy Wriggler. Could be any other plastic, a Berkeley Powerbait, Kaz Clear for example. All these ones, you've seen me make videos on them. I like to start off with something that I know will work. And I kind of work around that lure first up and it's based on what I see and the area that I'm fishing. So I'm looking at the water color, I'm looking at the tide level, I'm looking at the bait that might be present. If I'm fishing up the rivers, I like to match that brown color water with a brown lure, for example, or a darker colored lure with a big silhouette. If I'm fishing in the green waters, halfway through the Parramatta River, for example, or in the lower Georges, that's when you'll see me bring out the watermelon red grub. You know, it's a green lure. It's got red flecks, suits the watercolor. It looks natural. I like that natural approach for most of the situation. But once I start using those lures and I'm working around that situation and I'm not getting the results, my first question would be, is that the lure type that I want to be using? For example, if I'm fishing in a deeper section of the Parramatta River, and the grub is taking a little while to sink and I can see that it's a little bit windy and I can also feel that the current is pulling the lure horizontally rather than falling vertically through the water column. That's one trigger for me to go change to a faster dropping shape. And that's when I'll bring out say a paddle tail. Now, if it's a big problem, I might choose a specific brand of paddle tail that sinks faster than others. So depending on the plastic, you'll learn which ones sink faster, which ones don't sink as fast. It can be the size. It can be the, like I said, the material. And of course, one thing that I've just completely forgotten right here is the, the jig head as well. But just to keep it to the question, which is about changing plastics. Yeah, so the, so the jig head situation, just understand, yeah, we can change it to a heavier one if we want it to sink faster. But let's say if we're just talking about this actual specific shape. That's when I'll change to a faster sinking shape 
And if I really want to just work along the bottom, it might be a little flick bait, which you can work in every situation in the water column from surface levels through midwater. And once it starts sinking, it hits the bottom pretty quickly. So you can work that bottom part of the column as well. And of course, you've got your creature baits as well, which practically sit on the bottom unless they get hit on the drop. So that's some of the considerations. Now, color as well. Color is one other thing that I just briefly mentioned before. If you know that that lure type kind of suits the conditions and it looks like a good match for the bait that you're seeing. So let's say that you're up the rivers and you're seeing a lot of small little mullet. Well, you can probably just put on a little fish pattern, a little paddle tail in a natural coloration white with, you know, a black back or maybe a silver one or gray plastic, for example, even a black one. It doesn't have to match exactly, but it's within that ballpark, within the contrast and the shade style that will practically scream out mullet to a predatory fish, then it might be wise to just leave that on. You can also try the approach of standing out. So several times I fish in areas where the bait is too plentiful and having a plastic that basically matches the same kind of bait might make it hard for the predatory fish to hone in on it. Certain times of the year you'll see vast fields of say mullet or you know lots of groups of jelly prawns in the harbor for example maybe pilchards in the hacking maybe you want something that stands out but it still kind of mimics what you're seeing but it's a slightly different size or maybe it's a different color just for that contrast now one other aspect that i'd like to talk about is so far i haven't talked about finding something that's definitive in indicating when you should swap that's more of your own gauge on the situation around you. But let's talk about a situation where you know that there are fish in the area, because sometimes you don't. You know that the fish have seen your lure and you have various ways to determine that. Maybe you've seen them follow the lure in. Maybe you've pulled them, you know, pulled the plastic across its face and it has seemed uninterested. That is a sure sign that you need to change something up straight away. So if you see signs that the fish just aren't interested in whatever you're using, I would say that you should not be persisting with that. You should straight away change to something else, even if it goes against what you think might work. So if you think you're using the perfect lure for the situation, maybe it's a lure that you've even caught a bunch of fish in the area for many many sessions over the years that doesn't necessarily mean on any particular given day and time and tide that that lure will still be effective if you can see that it's not working hey take that off change to something else even if it doesn't seem to make sense you know bring on a different color bring on a different style different size you've got three different things that you could change in terms of the plastic and in, you know, and in addition to the shape that we've talked about as well, if I haven't said that in that last sentence there. So despite all the knowledge that's out there, I would, I'm under the camp that it is naive to assume that there is a solution to every single situation that's been ever penned down or recorded on a podcast or in a video. Sometimes something that just doesn't make sense, whether it's colors or those other factors that I mentioned, maybe the best lure out there. 
And I'm just going to explain this by relating it to some examples that I've experienced in the past. And there are some areas that I fish and I fish with, a, you know, some mates and they tell me that for some reason, this lure or this color is the preferred lure. Now, whether that's true or whether that's not, it could be a placebo effect. It could just be chance that they've found that that lure actually works and they've kind of stuck to it and created a self-fulfilling cycle of capturing more and more fish on a particular color. Could be a red lure, could be a purple colored lure, for example. I think I've mentioned that before in a previous podcast. There's a mate that likes purple lures in a specific place for for Mulloway and it seems to work. Well, that's how you find out things like that. Just getting that little bit of an edge. There's surely, you know, there's there's not a how-to guide that, you know, you got to go through this flow chart to find this color and this shape that's going to be the most effective because of what you're seeing in front of you. So it's a dynamic situation when you cast into the water. We all have our preferences. The conditions may not be what we think they are. So the data that we're receiving and what we think doesn't necessarily correlate with that. And like I said, there's no just no way that just a few bits and pieces put together would improve your chances. Sometimes it's about experimentation. And But finally, especially if you see that the fish have seen your lure and they don't want it, doesn't mean that every single brim or particular species that you're targeting will ignore that lure type. But on the vast majority, they are ignoring it. And it's, it's, it's a nudge nudge telling you, hey, why don't you go change to something else? And I want to just quickly talk about scent here, even though that question is not directly mentioning scent. But I think this is an important one as well. So if you have the belief that the scent that you're using is effective, then by all means, stick to that. But, you know, like I find a lot of people vehemently and fervently believe that the particular scent that they're using is extremely effective and the reason why they're catching. I guess there's nothing wrong with that. I can't definitively say which scents are better than others. But for those of you that are in, those of you that are interested to know what I'm using or what I generally use, I like to use S Factor from Squeegees and the Gulp Gel scent. And that's not to say that the other scents don't work. Obviously, you can do some trial and error and find out what works for you. You might find there's a particular scent that you're, you know, that that you gravitate towards. Most scents these days do attract fish. But I have heard of situations where scent puts them off as well. I'm going to leave that as a brief and broad answer to the scent situation. So just to wrap up this question, I hope that helps in terms of when and what you're doing and what you're thinking about the considerations of changing the lure shape. All right. So moving on to the next point of the menu here, I'd like to talk a little bit about reels and the retrieve ratios. So we're talking about how much line a reel retrieves every time you wind it. You would have heard of gear ratios such as 4.9 to 1 or 6.0 to 1, 6.2 to 1. You would have seen this on the box, on the brochures, and it looks like there's like three numbers separated by a couple of dots. So a lot of people don't say it in the way that I've said it, but it basically is expressing the gear ratio of the reel. And what that means is it translates into how many oscillations 
of the spool when you turn the handle. So for example, if you imagine that you're holding your reel in your hand right now, grab the handle and start at 12 o'clock on the handle. And if you rotate it all the way back, like a clock to 12 o'clock, one full rotation, the amount of spins that you see the bail arm go around the spool, that's that number there that you're seeing. Well, at least that's to my understanding anyway. I've counted it on my reels before. So for example, when I turn my Stella, it says 6.0 to 1. What that means is one full rotation of the handle and I see the bail arm start at a specific spot and do six full rotations by the time I complete the one spin of my hand. Now, what does this mean? Well, it just means that you've got a couple of things happening here. So first of all, if all things being equal with the reel, having the same size, same model, same brand, for example, everything's the same, same amount of braid, same amount of line on it, it's filled the exact same level. It just means that the one with the higher gear ratio is going to mean that more line has been picked up with one rotation of the handle. Hey, that's, that's pretty simple, right? Now, this is where it gets complicated. It gets complicated once you start talking about spools that are spooled differently with different amounts of line, but especially when we start talking about different brands and different sizes. A size 1,000 reel, a size 2,000 reel, a size 2,500 reel. Let's say that they're the main sizes that we're talking about in this level one angler series. So a lot of people might ask me, you know, what's a good retrieve ratio? Well, they all work, all, all of them work, but what happens is if you choose a really high gear ratio, say a six, six is considered high and anything under a, uh, under a mid fives is considered low gear or slow. Let's just get that out. For those of you that don't know what it means, so you've got high gear reels and low gear reels. High gear, that ratio is higher. Let's say at around six, let's say 5.8 and up. I've seen, I mean, it depends on the brands. Like I said, these numbers are de like decimals. So, as long as you understand it's about a six, it's, it's considered high and anything under about a five and a half or a five is considered low, then that means that the one with the six picks up more line. Now, factoring in that we're talking about different reel sizes, you can have a situation where you've got a smaller reel with a higher gear ratio, still being slower than a bigger reel with a slow gear ratio or any combination in between. I hope that makes sense. So if I had a size 1000 Stratic with a 6.2 to one retrieve ratio and it's spooled to the top, that might be picking up more line than if I use a 2500 Stratic with a low gear ratio, say a four point something. I mean, I don't think that they make them in fours, but 5.2, I think 5.2 is a low one. So you would have comparable line pickup. Now, that is something that I just wanted to talk about because I have talked about how rods, you know, like what, you know, what you're looking for in a rod in a previous podcast and, you know, carbon content and what's suitable for fishing with, um, you know, with, with soft plastics. Now, in terms of reels, I've used both low gear and the high gear reels. And like, honestly, it depends on the application that you're applying it to. You can use both both 
low and high for practically the same situations. We don't really have a situation where a reel is too slow or too quick, but there can be a preference. So for soft plastics where, you know, you're not moving the lures very much. So after you've done those hops on your lures or those lifts, you're not winding more than a few revolutions if I'd call it that, with the with the handle of the reel, then it actually doesn't matter whether it's low gear or high gear. Your hand's not going to get tired because you've got a low gear and you're doing two and a half rotations versus 1.8 rotations on a high gear reel. So it's all about feel, I'd say, and your preference. Now, where this might factor in is if you're using lures and you're trying to maybe slow roll them Slow rolling is a situation where I will probably say that you should really think about the the gear ratio of the reels that you're using. So slow rolling, just to, I mean, this is the level one angler series. Let's just make sure we know what we're talking, you know, you know what I'm talking about here. That is when you're casting out a lure and you're winding it back in at a continuous but a deliberate pace. And it causes the lure to beat its tail or dive. If we're talking about hard bodies, then there's a specific speed that we want to retrieve at that feels comfortable in the hand and gets the action best expressed in the lure. So, like I said, for myself, my hands are quite busy. I like to do a lot of things when I'm fishing. I guess in a way it's a bit fidgety, if you can understand that. So... I prefer a lower gear reel so that I can wind more rotations to get that happening rather than a higher gear reel where I do less rotations in addition to a much slower methodical process, which, you know, when you get frustrated and things aren't happening, you kind of speed that up and you blow the lure out of the water if it's got a bib, such as a hard body or with a soft plastic, you're starting to pull it too quick so it starts to rise in the water column out of the strike zone so that's something that you know that that i think that everyone should consider if the gear ratios were to make a difference what type of application would influence that and that's one of those ones slow rolling allure another one which is probably not about this particular series here but more for general soft plastics fishing that's when i go chasing mull away and, I, I'm, and I'm using bigger paddle tail lures with heavier jig heads and I'm casting very far and I'm doing moderate to large sized lifts continuously, then I much prefer a higher gear ratio reel so that I can pick up the slack of the reel much quicker. So that's one advantage of a higher gear ratio reel. You pick up the slack much quicker. It's less of an issue, like I said, when you're fishing for brim a bit of slack in the line is not such a bad thing, at least for me. So I would say that it's more of a preference issue, but if you have a situation like that, higher gear ratio reel would make sense. And just for those that just want to know what about other sizes of reels, well, let's say that we're talking about reel sizes in addition, in excess, uh, rather, of say a 4,000, 5,000, 6,000, 8,000, I guess maybe not an 8,000, but let's say that we're looking at a large size reels chasing pelagics spinning metals, for example. In that case, not only are you trying to choose a high gear ratio, 
a high gear and in fact at those sizes you're going to start to notice that they don't just have a low gear and then a high gear they'll also have an extra high gear so let's talk about say a shimano 4000 you've got say a 4000 twin power just 4000 full stop that just means it's a low gear in most situations and then you'll have a 4000 with a notation behind it that says 4000 hg you can probably guess what that's supposed to stand for g stands for gear h obviously stands for high gear high high gear there you go so that will be say a 6.0 maybe a 5.8 and then you'll have an additional speed and they call that the say a say say a twin power 4000 xh extra high gear that would probably be the 6.2 and up and so in that situation you know those rules may be designed for spinning metals for example and of course you know Daiwa and all these other companies have their own designations as well for the most part the newer Daiwa reels have adopted the same naming strategies so just to get it out there we're talking a low gear reel with a designation of the letter P P for power gear that would be akin to the Shimano 1000 full stop that kind of size or 2500 full stop that's with a p for daiwa power gear next up would probably be h the h letter for high gear and then xh for extra high gear now they've also got all the kinds of other letters which makes it a lot more confusing i've already addressed the first one which is p for power gear you can also get those reels that don't have any letters at all. They're also the low gear. But yeah, just a little bit more complicated. You've got, I mean, I don't know if Shimano do this as well. You've got C for compact body. You've got DH for double handle. You know, there's a few other things. S for shallow, D for deep spool. But just to keep this question compact, that's the situation on high, high gear and low gear reels. And I, so I hope that helps.